I welcome listeners to talk with me. Hey, this is Marsha Epstein in Lawrence, Kansas, and it is September. It is September 6th of 2017 when we're recording this show, and I am, as often is the case, in shock that the date is what it is. Lawrence, Kansas is beautiful right now. There's the crispness of fall, and then there may be coming the hot of summer again, who knows? Um, as we all know, when I mentioned the date, this is a time when in our country, yes, folks, climate change happens and we're having terrible things going on with wildfires and hurricanes and threats of more flooding, all kinds of stuff that's going on. Um, and so, uh, you know, just get a little educated if you're not sure climate change is real, just gonna say that. Um, I have a lot of scientists, artists, friends who will help you understand if you don't get it already. Anyway, today is a day when I get to share a conversation that we're gonna start with a poet who is connected to another poet who I did a show with, who I'm sure I connected with through some other poets, and I love that network. You know, when people wonder, does social media, et cetera, have more challenges, more damage than benefits, you know, what about cyberbullying? Well, uh, well, what about people connecting? And that happens a lot. There are wonderful uses of all this stuff. And and sometimes I forget, like, I actually have never been in the room with that person who I've now known for three years, you know? Anyway, my guest today is coming to us from the lovely state of New Jersey, and he is Kendall A. Bell. Hey, Kendall, welcome. How you doing? I am good. I am good. I am tired, but I'm good. <laughs> So, I am awake and caffeinated. Uh-huh. Oh, well, there you go. There you go. I'm awake. I'm not yet caffeinated. Maybe that was my mistake, but I had to I had to balance some things. So so caffeine is available, but not in the bloodstream yet. So tell <laughs> us a little about you. I always like to start with a little bit of back, background so people know a few tidbits about the guests before we get started. So what are just a few things about you and what you're up to these days? Um, well, I pretty much consider myself mostly a poet. Um, I used to write short stories, and many, many years later, meaning just last year, I found my way back to short stories. Um, aside from writing, I have a deep love of music. Uh, music, in fact, it forms a lot of what I write. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit into photography. I'm about as, you know, skilled at that as I am at, I don't know, pastry chef or something, <laughs> you know. I'm, I'm I an amateur. Cookies, so. I can paint, I can point my phone at something and take a kind of cool picture. I got it, yeah. <laughs> I do bake, actually. I, I right. do bake a lot, um, mostly, you know, cookies, cupcakes, breads, uh-huh. you know, sweet bread, stuff like that. Uh-huh. I love to bake. I'm I'm uh, okay at cooking. You know, I do all right. It's, it's edible. <laughs> it has flavor. It's seasoned. So that's uh-huh. always a good thing. That is a good start. Um, and um, I've been living in what would be considered southwestern New Jersey since 2001. I'm actually originally from 
northeastern New Jersey, Bergen County, which is closer to New York. So I went from one sort of metropolis to another one because I'm about 20, 25 minutes away from Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, in a lot of ways, I miss New York City, though. I, I would never be crazy enough to drive over there. But I used to take the path train over, the mm-hmm. ferry, whatever. I think I spent a good part of my 20s in the city just seeing different bands and artists. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you're younger, you can handle being up all night and going on like three hours of sleep and going to work, drinking mm-hmm. a half a pot of coffee and be like nothing. Now it's like, oh, it's a weekly <laughs> concert. I'm taking the next day off because I'm just too old for this crap. <laughs> you know. But, uh, yeah, music music is a really big deal for me. Uh, ever since I was a kid, uh, I, uh-huh. can, I can even tell you the first 45, and yes, I said 45, uh-huh. that uh, I ever owned. My father bought it for me, and uh-huh. it was uh, Elton John, Benny and the uh-huh. Jets. All right. And That's I cool. believe I still have it. It might be a little bit scratchy, but I believe it still plays. Oh, wow. That's cool. But I have a big collection. I have tons of vinyl, probably around 1,045. Oh, cool. Um, lots of LPs, well over 2,000 CDs. You know, I'm... Lots of music. That's lots cool. Music. You know, when, when you when you said about the 45s and, and how, you know, obviously for a, a lot of people, they're like, what what is he talking about? You know, my I go back to... Okay, so MTV, right? When it was when it was music television, well, yeah, when I actually played music, yeah, yeah, yeah. So my work was always is still and has all, all my adult life. My work has been in suicide prevention, basically. And so there was this Billy Joel song called "You're Only Human" that I I wanted to be able to record it on video VHS. Ooh, what's that? And um and show it when I was talking with kids, you know, because it because it was like, okay, this is a cool piece. They're, you know, they're gonna go like, oh, it's Billy Joel, you know, we can do this, this message. And and that particular song actually is basically a suicide prevention message. And so, so I sat for hours and hours and hours watching heavy metal and all kinds of music on MTV. And, and it's like, what is she doing? And finally I gave up and I, and I, and I did that thing that, that you sometimes do. It's like, it can't hurt to ask. So, you know, I tracked down the, the management company or something for Billy Joel and said, this is why I want this music. Is there any chance and sure enough they sent it <laughs> yay mtv cool. didn't really help me but i guess it inspired me to ask the question <laughs> hey yeah yeah music's cool <laughs> so very so much. go ahead i'm sorry i just said very much so <laughs> yeah so is is getting out for music something that you still do much of um, here and there, I'd say I'm a little bit more selective now of who I see. Um, there's still, you know, some of my base favorites that when they manage to come around to this area, I'll say, oh, I want to go. Mm-hmm. Or if it's somebody who, you know, I'm newly introduced to that, you know, I'm really consuming 
what they're producing, and then they happen to do a show in the Philly area. I'm like, I am going. Yeah. So, and I, it's more or less planning it now as opposed to being more impetuous and saying, yes. I'm just going to go. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Plus, it costs a lot so of money can, now. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of times, though, luckily, luckily enough, is that a lot of the artists that I like aren't exactly arena artists. Mm-hmm. So shows can be $20, $30, sometimes under $20. Good, good, yeah. You know, so that that works out. I think the last show I went to was an old favorite who finally just put out a new album this year, her first album in 14 years. So she decided to tour behind it. And uh, I saw her at the TLA in Philly. And it was our first tour in 15 years, and that was uh, Michelle Branch. Yeah. So cool. I was I was excited because you know I mean you hold on to the older songs too while like learning to embrace you know a new sound that she has, and a lot mm-hmm. of it is very influenced by her fiance, who is uh, Patrick Carney from Black Keys. So you can tell his influence since he produced the album and everything. That uh-huh. it's more mature. You know, it's not going to be the same kind of music. You know, she's not going to do, you know, the Game of Love or everything, you know, All You Wanted or any of that again. But she played them live and she did them in new arrangements. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was interesting. And yeah. you can see her maturity now. And And how does your love of music affect you and your writing? Because you mentioned, you know, that they're really connected. Um, I'm very much a lyrics person. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're not going to see me listening to a lot of the stuff that's popular. So usually when I'm listening to an artist, I'm paying attention to the lyrics. Uh-huh. And when they strike me, that they're coming from a deeper place. It's something that I can connect with and it sort of pulls out of me something. And like, for example, there's a few chaplets I have, including my new one or recent one, I'd say, because it was June that it came out. But uh, where I'll take certain songs or certain lyrics and I'll build something else around them. Mm-hmm. Like I, I did that a lot for my current one. My current one is called uh, "We Are All Ghosts," and um, some are some of the titles of the poems are song titles, and some are lyrics from uh, this artist from Los Angeles. Her name is Emma Ruth Rundle, and uh, she's very eclectic. She borders on folk, borders on rock, kind of experimental. Um, She does a lot of interesting things with her tunings when she plays guitar. Mm -hmm. And uh, her lyrics are even kind of poetic. And uh, really connected with her stuff. So when I wrote this book, I took some of the titles of songs of hers, some of the lyrics, and built poems around them. And it 
uh, a general theme came along. I mean, I like when I put out a chat book, I like to have a theme to it. I, I don't want to like haphazardly just throw a bunch of poems together and say, here, here's what, you know, mm-hmm. all over the place. You know, I want the entire theme to mean something and maybe resonate with somebody else because ultimately, much like, say, you know, any of these artists do, in particular Emma, where, you know, they've created this art that when you're listening to it, you can feel it. Definitely her music deep mm-hmm. within you, you know? I mean, I, I, I could feel what she's, what she's singing mm-hmm. in my bones. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, you, you know the stuff is really good. Yeah. That's really cool. I'm, I, and I, I don't know how to say this without stumbling, so I'm stumbling, but it's really intriguing to me that you as a man have found this woman who, at least the way I'm hearing what you're saying about her work, is, is not necessarily a musician that a lot of men would be really drawn to. Um, and I say that as somebody who I don't I, I didn't make a choice that I didn't want to listen to men or I didn't want to read books by men or whatever. But I find that if I read fiction, that I actually greatly prefer fiction written by women over fiction written by men. Not so with poetry, but that also with music, a lot of the musicians who whose work really resonates for me are women who might be called, you know, their singer songwriter kind of on the folk end of things. Um, and so it's interesting to me that, that I don't often hear men saying, Oh yeah, that, that kind of music is my music. Oh, that definitely is my music. I uh-huh. tend to connect more with female artists than I do men. Uh-huh. And that has always been the case to uh-huh. be honest. I mean, I would say that my favorite time periods for music are the 80s and 90s. Uh, the 90s definitely brought out more in me, you know, with uh, uh, how I connected to them and just discovering artists. For example, uh, back in 88 or 89, I believe it was, I, I got to see R.E.M. live in, uh, in North Jersey. And I had never heard of the opening artist before, but nothing against R.E.M. They, they had a great show. But the opening band was Throwing Muses, and I had never heard of them before. And uh-huh. getting exposed to their music, in particular, Kristen Hirsch as a, as a songwriter, that was huge for me. That, that uh-huh. influenced how I created great cool. Kristen is just like she's on some other level uh-huh she's just she, I, I tend to think she's from some other planet or something <laughs> that's very cool it's un, it's unreal what she can do not just musically but just the, the lyrics are incredibly deep and it's just, it's a real exploration of her mind uh-huh. and she's dealt with um she's dealt with mental issues over the years and it's like a window in to who she is Mm -hmm. and that was like that was the big one for me and then you know more came that i connected with people like uh tanya donnelly who was in throwing muses and her band belly 
and the Breeders and Veruca Salt and Juliana Hatfield was always a big favorite of mine. And it just it went from that. And then, you know, like as time progressed, people like Tori Amos and you know, like Emma Ruth Rundle. Um, there's a singer from Canada who I'm a huge fan of, and you wouldn't think that because a lot of her stuff is very pop and sort of beat-driven, but it's more leaning towards uh, alternative in a way. I guess they would call it dream pop or electro pop. Her name is Lights, and uh, I actually did a chapbook called Siberia that was based around different Lights lyrics. Cool. But I like the eclectic. Uh-huh. I definitely like the eclectic. Um, the other, I put out two chapbooks this year. The other one was in February, and that was Dollhouse. And it's a very personal chapbook. But once again, it's I took the song titles of every song on the album Cry Baby by Melanie Martinez and turned them into poems. And... I will delve into what's true and what's not in there, but I will say that it is a very personal book, just as much as uh, her album was very personal to her. And she's a very interesting person who makes pop music that will never get on the radio Mm -hmm. because it's just too weird, but weird good. Uh Uh-huh. Interesting. So, so let's go into the, uh, so in terms of your writing and what you want to get onto your page and when you're there at the mic sharing your, your work, tell, tell me a little bit about that. Like sort of where is this coming from in you, this writing that you're doing? You know, some people write and they do it as something they simply enjoy doing or it's something they do on the side or it's, you know, something they can maybe come back to. For me, it it doesn't end. It's just, it's always there. It's, Mm -hmm. I write because I have to, because if I didn't, I'd probably lose my mind. So it's a lot of it. It can come from different areas. I could be influenced by, people I work with, you know, different situations, things I just see in general in life, things I might hear about in the news, um, things going on within me, you know, personal conflicts. I I write a lot about longing. I write a lot about um, isolation. Um, I would say love would be in that mix, but you'll never see it as something flowery or anything like that. I I don't write it that way. I try to write not necessarily how I speak because metaphor is something that I really like, you know, that, you know, when it comes out Mm -hmm. um, the right way, you know, when it's something that I want to relate to something else, obviously. Um, But I, I consider myself accessible, I guess is the best word, you know, okay. something that's not exactly coming from a, a college program, I want to say, and there's nothing against 
any of those people who have their MFAs or anything like that because, you know, many people work hard to get that. But what I would never want to be is a product of a system or a product of a mentor. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I entirely believe in mentors. I, I mean, there's people who have in the past, you know, backed me, you know, like encouraged me. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, for that, I'm very grateful, but I wouldn't say that I ever had like a true mentor. And I don't uh-huh. know if I really believe in that. But like I said, uh, one of those people is a poet who uh, was originally from New Jersey and he's living in Baltimore now. Uh, he's an older guy. His name is Dan McGuire. And uh, sadly, his stuff isn't as out there as much anymore. But he was somebody who uh, is a lot like me in how he emotes, especially with his readings. Uh, I guess I maybe tried to emulate him a little bit uh, for reading style because he just, he has this deep baritone and he can really, he knows how to take hold of a room. Uh, Another one who... uh, was influential to me in a way, though I could never be like him, the way he reads. It's another New Jersey poet by the name of B.J. Ward. And uh, he's just an unbelievable reader. <laughs> he's just... He's, he's, he's like a poetry rock star, basically. Uh-huh. Interesting. So, as you're talking about reading styles that you admire and, and your own development of your reading style... I'm I'm thinking about two things. One is I want I would love to have you to share some poetry, um, but I first want to say that I I remember reading and and I am embarrassed that I'd forgotten who, what writer it was who said this, but but his words were basically that the way to find your voice is to read other people's work. In the sense of yeah, yeah, and so like you're saying, you know, you're you're exposing yourself to music and to other writers and to how they read, and all of those you realize that there are things that that you get from those experiences that help you in developing your own work and your own presentation style. Not not that you're duplicating somebody, but but it's something that influences you, and to me that. To me, that's that's about being being a learner. You know that that's we learn about things by bumping against different ways of doing things, learning things about ourselves when somebody asks or, or responds in a way that we hadn't anticipated because their frame of reference is different. There are all these things about exposing ourselves to to art to to life. So so I love that that's coming out and how you're talking about your own work. And again, I would I would love to have this be a time when you share some of your work. Sure. Thanks. Um, is there uh, anything, any uh, restraints here? I mean, I generally don't, uh, you know. Words can fly yeah. because we're not on FCC. So whatever you would like. <laughs> <laughs> I, I generally don't use uh, any... Uh, swearing unless I feel it's necessary to the piece. But uh, I'm going to read something. I'm going to read the title poem from my current chapbook. Uh, It's actually the last. And when you say, 
your current chat book, which is which? We are all ghosts. Okay. That's the one that's uh, influenced by Emma Ruth Rundle. So this is actually the title poem, and it's the last poem in the chapbook, which I think was the right way to close it out. So this is We Are All Ghosts. We are banging on doors, asking for someone to listen, to hear us, just once, just once. We are trapped in places we never wanted, never expected to be. We are the pieces of torn notes, the overturned glass spilling and staining carpets. We ask for forgiveness, receive the coldest shoulder. We will be quietly huddled in corners, sobbing our regret into days that never end. So that's that one. That's beautiful. That's beautiful, and it and to me. It speaks to a lot of what my life is about, um, and not in a boastful way, but but to be one of those people who is there to really listen and really hear, and to try to help people move from that darkness. And it's it's um, so so that poem really it's deeply for me because I know that's where a lot of people live. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I think uh, many people at times feel invisible. Yes. And just want to be heard, just want to be seen. Yeah. Just want to matter. Yeah. And, and you have that, you, you did this, this word that, that I've, I've come to recognize and I'm trying to eliminate from my, my vocabulary because, because it's just, you know, just as opposed to when we're not using it for justice, we, we, we use that word casually. And then when I think about it, it's, it's, I realize that it minimizes often something that we're really wanting to highlight, you know, being heard is huge. Being treated like one's invisible is a terrible abuse. You know, I can, I can go from subject to subject, but, but if I launch on this one area, so, so one of my places where I'm an ally is, is with the trans and gender non-conforming, um, community and without going into great depth of that, what I want to say is that a friend who is a trans man and, and who is a psychologist and is a researcher and is a professor, um, in his research on, you know, what what are the things that put trans people at such high risk of attempting suicide? One of the biggest ones is that emotional stuff, that being misgendered is even worse than physical abuse or violence. You know, the, the power that people wield to discount other people is a huge level of violence and abuse to our souls, you know? And, and I realize I'm getting really loud with this, but, but people need to be heard. That poem that you just shared, We Are All Ghosts, is really important for people to hear and think about, take the next step of, learning to not be a person who ghosts other people, you know, um, walking down the street and seeing that person who 
is being overlooked and making a point of talking to that person. And it doesn't always mean giving them money. You know, I, I, I could go off on a story that I right. recently had of talking to this guy and like, well, this guy is a total scam artist. But you know what? I still feel good about stopping and talking to him. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that that was really powerful. And you mentioned um, We Are All Ghosts. I know because I looked around online about you. Tell people, so if they're intrigued by your work, how do they find it to actually buy? Um, that's a really good question. I don't know how people <laughs> end up finding me, to be honest. You know, I'm just, you know, some guy who writes in uh, uh, a sleepy town that has like 4,000 people in it. So, uh-huh. it's like, when somebody finds me, it's like, holy crap, how did you do that? Uh-huh. So, I mean, the chaps are out there. I mean, Maverick Duck Press uh, is, the, is the type of press that I run, and I publish a lot of other um, poets who are fantastic. And um, I think Maverick Duck actually gets more traffic than anything else. Okay. Uh, on, on, like on Facebook, I think the page has like something around 1,300 likes, which is, which is great. And yeah. then, there's my, then there's my author page, which has 190 likes. And it's like, hmm. Uh-huh. So, I mean, I, I'm constantly on social media because I'm trying to, you know, get stuff out there and I'm submitting to online journals and uh-huh. sending out manuscripts and stuff. So when somebody finds me, like, holy crap, how did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> and this actually goes back to uh, Charles Joseph, who has mm-hmm. actually become a really good friend. He's also a really good poet. Uh, and I think if I'd have read his stuff maybe five years ago, I'd been like, eh, this is, you know, What's so special about this? But when you read more into Charles's work, you can see uh, how he sort of plays with topics, and man, he takes the piss out of it a little bit too, you know, because he has a good sense of humor, and it does make you think more than you would think that something that looks ordinary would. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple of years ago, I met him somebody else and this all started online and i'm thinking mm-hmm. how do i know these people where are they finding me yeah and a poet uh poet from uh Phillips, phillipsburg new jersey uh brandon deal he goes by b deal uh-huh. he found me on facebook and i guess he figured oh there's another new jersey writer you know offering them blah 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 we didn't even have any interaction for a couple of months <laughs> uh, so I commented on something of his about uh, a poet he really liked. You know, he asked him for advice on something, and he was really rudely rebuffed about it. So I commented on it, and I you know, basically said it was horrible and whatnot. And he's like, oh, you know, how did we meet? You know, how come I haven't read your stuff? And I was like, oh, okay, here, here's some links. Mm-hmm. And he ended up buying a couple of my chat books, and he really liked them. Totally uh-huh. different style from his, but, you know, he uh-huh. really liked them. He's very, he's BDL is very uh, supportive in the uh, poetry community. So that's why he calls his show "I Hate Poetry," right? <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> it's actually doing really well too. <laughs> doing this does crack me well. up. You know, he writes about his mom and his cat <laughs> and his anxiety. <laughs> Anyway, so 
yeah, he invited me to do a reading in Eastern Pennsylvania that he was putting together. And um, I was like, oh, it's two hours away, but it's, uh, it was, I think it was a Saturday. So I was like, oh, screw it. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll be off. So I drove two hours out there. And beforehand, there were some people that he was friends with, who, you know, mutual friends, poets and whatnot. One of them was Charles. Another was Damien Rucci. Ah, yes. Uh, another was Kaylee Tedesco. Um, and my friend, who is also a, a terrific poet, her name is Amber Decker. She's from... Oh, yes, I know Amber. Amber even stayed at my house last year, two years ago. <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> we became pretty good friends. Um, uh, we met online also because uh-huh. uh, she had submitted to the um, online zine that I run with my wife, Christina, called Chanterelle's Notebook. And she had submitted some stuff years and years ago. And we we published her. And I ended up putting out a chat for her through Maverick Duck called uh, True North. So... Amber was out for this reading too. So I got to meet all these people in person and Charles and I really connected there. You know, we just something about him. He just has like a, a way of connecting. Also he's, he's Italian. I'm half Italian. <laughs> we, we feel an Italian family and you know, it's just one of these things, you know? Okay. So and he actually got he and his wife Kathleen actually just got to meet my mother for the first time. I was like, well, prepare yourself. So you know, <laughs> this is gonna be a roller coaster here. <laughs> That's so funny. Because uh, I always imitate my mother, and you know, at first people, you know, believe, oh, you're making her sound like a caricature. I'm like, well, wait till you meet her. Okay? <laughs> so. It was the whole thing, and, you know, I was actually up there visiting my mother, and we had gotten together, the four of us, my wife and Charles and Kathleen, and we had went to New York City that day to go to Poet's House, because they were doing the uh, poetry showcase. So uh, since I was staying at my mom's, this was like, oh, I'll meet my mom, blah, 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 blah. Uh-huh. And then later on, my mother's like, oh, they were so nice. And I was like, uh-huh. yeah, they are nice. <laughs> What did you expect them to do? Exactly. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's funny. But that's my mom. Yeah. Yeah. Is what it is, you know. <laughs> She's my mom and I'm stuck with her. Yeah, I think that's what my sons say about me. <laughs> <laughs> she hasn't changed in you know, all these years that I've been alive, so I'm not expecting anything to, you know, <laughs> rock that uh, that world at all. Yes, yes. But it, but it was it was great the, the reading in Easton. It went really well, and I met a lot of other poets. Uh, mm-hmm. Cleveland Wall, I met there as well. Um, trying to remember everybody, but there was there was a lot of people I met. B, obviously. And, you know, from networking with them, all this online networking, you know, it just sort of opened me up to other people, other people to read, other poetry to read, other people who are interested in my work. Yeah. And, you know, then, you know, word gets around. Uh, Cord Moreski is another one. 
who uh, has a reading series. Uh, he did one in Asbury Park. I forgot the, the town he's in now where he's doing one, but he had a reading series called The Words on Maine, and he invited me to read there as well. He's he's a very good poet as well. He actually teaches poetry to middle school children. Oh, sweet. That's a great age well, for kids to learn, you know, like to have that extra tool for communication. It's really cool. And uh, Definitely. And also, just from uh, other places I've been published, I meet other people who are editors who happen to be poets, and I get friendly with them. Uh, April Michelle Bratton is one of them who has a love of 90s alternative like I do. Um, Arielle LaBrea, who runs Thick with Conviction, which has been around for 12 years now, who's also a poet that I've published at Maverick Duck. Uh, Taylor Emily Copeland, who's uh, very um, personal, writes a lot of very personal confessional stuff. And uh, she was connected to a few journals as well. But it's it's amazing, these people that I've maintained friendships with, even if they're just online. Mm-hmm. But people who, people who create, I'm just drawn to people who create. Mm-hmm. Uh, another... Another friend of mine, she's from uh, Delaware. Her name is uh, Emily Brogan. She goes by E.H. Brogan. She's a, a very good poet, and she's she doesn't uh, restrict her art just to poetry either. She makes handmade uh, journals, notebooks. Oh, cool. And stuff like that. So it's like when you have your hands in a bunch of other things, too, it just it opens your world up more. Yeah. And, it, and you can be inspired by so many different types of art. Yes. For me, it always ends up coming back to poetry. But, um, you know, there's just so many. And the, like you said before about, you know, gaining knowledge, uh, inspiration from other poets, it, there's a lot of newer poets. And by newer, I mean over the last five, ten years, uh-huh. who say that they don't read other poets uh. and that <laughs> really angers me yeah it's like you're it's you're not exposing yourself to growth right by doing that and the whole idea is to, to get better i mean i can look back at a lot of my older chapbooks and be like this is shit i'm never reading it again mm-hmm. you know i don't want to look at this you know i've moved on from this mm-hmm. And it's because in my one moment of egotism here, I'm better now than I was then. And that's the way it should work. You know, we should be learning and and we should be better in our lives than we were five years ago. You know, we should be learning and incorporating new things. Yeah. So, so I don't see that as a, as a, an egotistical bad kind of boasting thing that you're saying your writing is better now than it used to be. That, that to me is is that reminder that good writers work at their writing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And when I see stuff that I can tell somebody just, you know, threw out there, it's kind of like you're not doing the work, and I can tell. Yeah. And I, and I, and I really don't want to be that guy who says, ah, I came from this and this, and, you know, just because there's, there's definitely factions 
in the uh, poetry world that, you know, wag their fingers and look down on, you know, the younger generation. But to be honest, I think part of it is born out of jealousy, too, because some of these younger poets are also putting out some really good stuff. Mm -hmm. And I I don't think it's an age issue. I don't think people are good or bad because they're young. Um, But I do think, like you, that people who don't really immerse themselves in a variety of writers and art their their work is is going to be flat it's it's it doesn't just come naturally and so whatever you put on words is on paper on technology whatever is going to be great um it it merits work <laughs> oh and, and it, i would love to have you share more of your poetry you know as we're talking about your writing and obviously your passion for writing and for good writing and for reading other people, hearing other people, connecting, sort of following those those tracks of, you know, for you, there's this loop of not only are you reading and, and influencing, but you're also highlighting people through the work that you do with having your own press and online journal. So you're, you're also promoting awareness of other writers, which is very cool. So I, I'm entirely I'd supportive of the arts. Yeah, yeah. Very actively, you know, not just like, I oh, think yeah. arts are cool, but. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I will say to our listeners, the way we, one way we can all support arts is by buying stuff, you know. We can, you can listen today to this, this podcast and Check out Kendall Bell. Go to his website, kendallabell.com. Go to his micropress, maverickduckpress.com. Buy something. Buy it as locally as you can. Go to readings in New Jersey if that's where you live and or that's close to you. And buy a chapbook from somebody. Get them to sign it after you've heard them read stuff. Yeah, there's Amazon for certain kinds of things, but but the thing is, is that the closer to the creator of the art that you buy it, the more it supports that art getting made. So buy it from the poet, buy it from the small venue, order it through your indie bookseller if you can't get it in other ways, but have those big online retailers be your last resort. I'm just saying. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Wholeheartedly. I mean, yeah. supporting small presses is so important. Yes. Because you're, it's not just about making money. You're, you're sustaining the press by doing that so yes. they could put out more art. Yes. Yes. And definitely also check out um, www.indigentpress.com, which yeah. Charles Joseph runs. Yeah. Because he puts out a lot of fantastic artists as well. Yeah. Yeah, lots of small presses where the ones I know, at least, poets are the ones who start those presses to highlight work that they really love and put that out in the world. So, again, your micropress is maverickduckpress.com, and you are Kendall A. Bell with that.com as your, your place. And... So to hear your poetry again, love to hear a couple more pieces from you now. Sure. Um, I'm going to do the title poem from my chapbook, Dollhouse, which came out in 
February, the one that was influenced by Melanie Martinez. So this is Dollhouse. It is the sticks of all lime popsicles, licked dry and glued together with white glue that seeps through the small gaps. It holds no plastic bodies, no fake furniture. The porcelain-headed figures adorned in frilled dresses sit on unpuckered sofas and still-life painted faces. If they could speak, they would tattle on the kids that barrel through other rooms like herds of cattle, like engines stuck in cruise control. The house sits in the grass by the curb, gaining beetles for tenants, catching rainwater on every floor. If the house could reveal secrets, it would unleash the echoes of screams, the stories of overall boys who stare into space, who want to peel off their gender roles, who write themselves into stories where they are the heroine. Beautiful. And, and not where I expected it to go. Beautiful. Yeah, I like to throw a little monkey wrench in there. Yeah, yeah. And that's an important one. Obviously, it's an important one to, to lots of people, me included, that we we be able to embrace who we are. I have a, a friend here in Kansas, in Topeka, Kansas, who um, is well known for her advocacy for lots of causes, including the fact that she's a trans woman and she is a huge advocate for trans and gender nonconforming kids and adults. Her name is Stephanie Mott. And she, you know, that the word that she uses is authentic, is is that, you know, basically everybody deserves to be their authentic self and be loved and respected for that, you know? And and for some people, man, it's hard to find people who really value who you are, who you really are. So I love that 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 dollhouse poem that you just shared, and and those those reminders about those boys maybe aren't boys, just look like it on the outside, or they are boys, but they don't want and don't buy the limits that boys are supposed to do this or that and not do this other thing. Yeah, that's really important. I think it's something that it's a hang up in some people who lack understanding. I think that, uh, and I know the phrase has been used a lot and some people might even groan at it, but I really believe there is a level of toxic masculinity to a point where, you know, you could be a, a trans girl and obviously, you know, born in a male body, but with the expectation that, you know, you're supposed to be this way, you know, why are you dressing like that? Yeah. Why do you want to wear a dress? You know, and it's, it's forced. It's not authentic. Like you said, and yeah, people need to get out of this thinking that just because they don't understand it doesn't mean that it has to adhere to your very myopic beliefs. Exactly. They need to get they need to get away from that and and stop passing judgment on people who are not even affecting their lives. You know, yes. live your life. Be the best person that you can be. 
because that's what they're trying to do. Right. Cool. Yep. Yep. And it's an interesting thing for me because as a as a person, for me, I have valued. I've recognized that I really value being understood, and so I know that I have that lens. I've also learned that there are some experiences that I can't really understand. I can learn and and try to to have better understanding, but I can't fully understand. And my job is to accept and believe whether I really understand it or not. You know, and I think sometimes we get hung up on that part that I can't explain it away, so it isn't real. You know, I, I there's a phrase you can't see what you don't believe, and then we need to challenge ourselves to to say. A person knows their own truth. We need to believe that. We do not have the right to tell people they don't know what they're talking about about themselves. So absolutely. It, yeah. 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 And it's so, become so much easier to do that with the internet too. It's a double edged sword, the internet. It's a great thing. And at the side at the same time, it could be a very terrible thing. Because yeah. there's there's no filter. There's no, you're not face to face with that person. So the other person could be as horrible as they want to be. Yep. So some people need to get the fuck off Twitter, not naming any names, but. <laughs> <laughs> mm, yeah. Okay. I'm a, certain, uh, certain, a certain tangerine muppet. <laughs> How about another poem from you? I would love that. Okay. This one is from uh, the current one, We Are All Ghosts. And uh, the title of the poem is a line from um, the song Arms I Know So Well by Emma Ruth Rumble. So the poem is called As for the Dead, They Can Raise Themselves. As for the dead, they can raise themselves while we resurrect everything we did not do the last time our hands touched. The way lips touched quickly, as if in shame or reticence. Those long-forgotten bodies could not have heard your hard breathing, the pounding of my heart as it raced on, fueling the need inside me that grew like fire over old leaves and rotted branches. They could not see the plush comforter holding our outlines after release. After my arms drew you back onto me, as fingers traced every inch of you so that memory could be etched into stone, into bone. Beautiful. I really appreciate the the variety of poems that you're sharing in this time that we're talking, that that different moods, different topics, different lots of things being raised in each of those. Um, and that, that to me is a great gift for people to be able to experience. I love how arts can prompt us to think about things differently. You know, that, that we, we hear those words and they mean a little different to me than they do to you. They mean a little different to you today than they did maybe when you first wrote them, you know. I, I love that part. But we, we, 
need to, to think and experience. Yeah. Absolutely. It's good stuff. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Yeah. I'm trying and, to learn to be better at taking compliments because I'm entirely <laughs> self-deprecating. Ah. So it's kind of like, you know, every day, and I, I, I live with depression and anxiety. So, you know, some days are better than others. Mm -hmm. And there's times when I'll write something and I'll be okay with it. And the next day it's just like, you suck, you suck, you suck, you suck, you suck, delete this shit, it sucks. You know? So it's kind of like I beat myself up a lot about it and I'll edit and edit and edit poems. Sometimes I'll edit as I write, which is like entirely something that people are like, never do that, never do that. <laughs> but, you know, it's kind of like I'm just going to, it's just going to be whatever it's going to be and how it gets there is how it gets there. You know, uh -huh. I, I don't really like to follow too many rules, mm -hmm. you know, the challenge that, that you and a lot of people have when you identify as, you know, you live with depression and anxiety and the, the editing issue is it, at some point you have to to be able to whether it's with somebody else's help or your own recognize when you're in that mode of i'm not good enough what i do is shit versus actually this needs some improvement <laughs> right right yeah yeah i used to be in a poetry group uh I was president of it for maybe half the time. Uh, we were called the Quick and Dirty Poets. Uh -huh. And uh, it was a critique group, but we basically graduated into doing readings and we put out chapbooks through the group, you know, of all of our stuff, you know, individual poems within the, mm -hmm. the chaps and whatnot. And I really, <clears throat> I feel like I definitely grew a lot because of the people that I was surrounded with, because mm -hmm. of the uh, being exposed to people who are going to be honest about it. Uh, not always nice. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes you know, it's not the greatest thing. There are a couple times when a few of the people in the group would just like write a different poem. And I'm like, what? Yeah. You mean write a different poem? I'd like to at least acknowledge when there's something that can be saved in a piece. Uh-huh. So, you know, but for the most part, the group was something that was really beneficial to to all of us. I mean, we all grew and some people kept going, some people didn't, you know? I mean, <laughs> there's a couple of people in the group who haven't written anything in years. And then there's people like my friend Bruce Neat, who's very prolific. He often does the uh, poem a day in April, uh, as I do uh -huh. for National Poetry Month. Yeah. Um, but I'm a masochist, so <laughs> I usually do more than one poem a day in April. All right. Like, for example, I, you know, you're supposed to end up with 30 poems. I wrote 102 in April. Cool. So it's kind of like, what the hell is wrong with you? I was like, I don't know. It just, you know, this just happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. One of our poets in Kansas City, James Benzer, has a 
365 poems um, Facebook group with that opportunity for people to to be encouraged to write a poem every day. You know, part of greasing the wheels. That's a cool thing. Oh, yeah. And it, yeah. It's not even a matter of, you know, what you're writing about or, you know, how, if it's really good or really bad. It's just, it's just write something. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just, just force yourself to write to yeah. get something out, you know, yeah. prod yourself a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the writers I know will say their, their sort of mantra is do something with my writing every day, either write, submit to publication, you know, be working on writing every day. So it might not be creating something new every day, but, but having that be part of the daily routine and other people will go, I can't deal with that. I do it when I do it. <laughs> That's it's, it, you have to really be disciplined with submitting. And, and I can, yeah. and I can be a real lazy ass sometimes with that. And I have to kick myself. Charles will tell me all the time, well, did you submit something today? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and like, like, for example, I got an email today from, of all places, Sundress Publications. Mm -hmm. And they put out a, a call that, uh, a journal that a, a friend of mine happens to run. Uh, her name is Rachel Nix. She runs, she's a, a poetry editor with Kahootaloodling. <laughs> and, uh, they're actually really good. It's an interesting name, though. Yeah. Uh, she's she's one of the editors there, and they take on guest editors. And another poet friend of mine by the name of James Duncan is the guest editor, and um, they happen to be looking for poems that are um, uh, how do they put it? Um, the issue is called Solitude Spectrum. So they're looking at stuff that uh, captures both the positive and the negative of, you know, the pain and heartbreak and introspection and all that, which, you know, kind of says to me, hey, dummy, you should submit because this is definitely you, mm -hmm. you know? Okay, cool. Because that's, that's a lot of stuff that I write about. So, uh -huh. again, you know, disciplined to yeah. sending the damn submissions out. Yeah. Or as Damien Ritchie always says, do the damn thing. So, uh... <laughs> That's great. So we are at that end of the hour. I can't believe it. That went we fast. I know. And, and I will say in terms of some reminders to our listeners, if writing is what is part of who you are, read. And as Scott Thomas Outlaw, who's a poet who's based near Atlanta, Georgia, will say, kind of follow the trail. So, so look at somebody's work, see where they're published. Look at those small presses, those journals. Are they a fit? Just like, Kendall, you said, yeah, this thing that Charles was bugging me about, it really is a good fit. I need to submit to it. You know, look for where people are and what's going on. There's so much wonderful stuff. And my reminder to all of us is buy the books, support local art. You know, you don't have to spend a huge amount of money to periodically say this one I really want. And I'm going to say out loud and I'm going to follow through. 
I want this book that I heard the first poem of and the last, or not, maybe not the first poem, but the last poem of too. I'm going to be going and, and going to Maverick Duck Press and say, hey, I want this ghost book. I want this ghost book. I need to have this in my collection. So people, please do that kind of thing. Do what you can to support local art, to go out, be present at readings, stick through the whole reading. Um, I say that to poets as well as people who are not poets or in the audience. It's a nice thing. It's a good thing to listen to what people are saying and how they're saying it. And so I want to say thank you to Charles Joseph, who is the one who connected me to my guest today, Kendall A. Bell. Thank you, Kendall. I have loved doing this show with you. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. And people, again, KendallABell.com and MaverickDuckPress.com. Those are ways to find this person and not only his work, but work that he's involved with getting out into the world. Thank you. And as so well as, uh, Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. As well as uh, ChanterelleSNotebook.com. There we go. Your literary magazine. We didn't really talk about that. Chanterelle as in the, the uh, mushroom, I believe. Chanterelles, plural, Notebook.com. And so long to our listeners. Hope you'll be listening again to more good stuff on Talk With Me.